Welcome to Park City Church. You're listening to our weekly message, where we hope you'll be inspired and encouraged to know and follow Jesus and welcome and serve others. Thank you for tuning in. I'll be reading our scripture this morning. We'll be looking at Matthew 9, verses 35 through chapter 10, 4. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 35. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles were these, first Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the son the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Well, we're in a series on Matthew's gospel, and again, the framework for us has been just the portrait of Jesus, Matthew's portrait of uh, Jesus. And our hope as we have walked through some of these opening chapters and as we continue for a few more uh, weeks that uh, you'll just, whatever your relationship to Jesus is, my hope is that you'll see him maybe uh, differently. Our hope is more clearly, but maybe differently. So we were uh, I was at the zoo this week with my daughters and Aaron and Luke. We were uh, we took we took the kids to the zoo, and their stamina for things like that is remarkable. I was ready to go pretty quickly, but they were like, "Let's just keep going." But uh, we had been there for a while, and we were making our way out. And on our way in, the polar bear Nunik, I think is how you say his name, uh, Nunik, Nunik. Thanks, thank you. Uh, we share a birthday, actually. Uh, it's the same day, different year, but, you know, so I should get his name right. Uh, I should get his name right anyway, but uh, Nunik. So on our way in, uh, he wasn't out. We, we couldn't see him. So we were leaving, and they obviously they wanted to see, like, can we swing by? Can we see Nunik? And so we made another stop by the polar bear exhibit, and we weren't, like, particularly close. One of my children sort of stopped further back. We weren't, like, up on the glass and Nunuk was out, like, on the wall, sort of the far end of the exhibit, just kind of laying against the wall, you know, looking up at the wall and, and just chilling in the uh, unseasonably warm weather. And uh, so we just kind of stopped. I was a few steps behind. One of my kids was a few steps, and then maybe, I think, a couple were further up. And we just stood there for a minute. I was like, okay, I'm ready to go, <laughs> right? And we're waiting, like, take it in. It's a polar bear. He's beautiful. Uh, part of God's creation, enjoy this moment, you know, but please hurry, hurry up. And, uh, but we're standing there and uh, unsolicited, my, one of my daughters turns around, the one that's sort of removed from the exhibit, I've just been looking at the back of her head, she turns around, she's like beaming, uh, just smiling at me, she says, my oxytocin is so full. Right? <laughs> and my first response was, should I be concerned, right? <laughs> Are you okay? Uh, but, uh, you know, it's a thing we've learned. Apparently dogs are good for oxytocin and all that kind of stuff. So uh, here's why I tell you that story. Because, because uh, my hope, um, I, I think, my, my experience, my feeling is that when we look at Jesus, we will have a similar sort of 
overwhelming in the best possible sense of the word, experience. And I think sometimes, I'll just be candid with you as a preacher, I feel like I get in the way. I worry sometimes that I'm going to muddy it up or blur the picture, distort what I think is already on its own, a compelling and moving image of the only one in the world who can truly save. And like an 11-year-old in awe of a polar bear, I hope that every time we gather, you encounter the God who saves in Jesus. And that his mercy, as we'll consider in a moment, his grace, his compassion would be overwhelming to you. That you, like my daughter in that moment, would be caught up, maybe in something you can't explain, but would be caught up in the good news of Jesus. And we're going to try to continue that conversation this morning. In fact, over the next few weeks, we're going to slow way down. We've sort of taken whole chapters at a time and taken chunks of them together, multiple stories. We haven't dived into the details or particulars, but in the next few weeks, we're going to slow down a little bit and move more slowly through chapter 10, uh, the beginning in chapter 9 and chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel. This is actually the second, we'll, we'll use the word sermon, that Jesus gives in Matthew. We've, we've made this observation before, but Matthew frames his portrait of Jesus around sort of five major sections of teaching. And then on either side of those, you get stories of Jesus' deeds. So both his word, like what he says, and also his, his works. And this is the second. The first we considered a few weeks ago was the Sermon on the Mount. You remember, perhaps, uh, the Lord's Prayer, things like do unto others, uh, these sort of classic sayings of, of Christ. And that sermon drew us into um, a portrait of what the kind of life might look like that was uh, surrendered to Jesus. This is what the, a new life with Jesus, looking at someone as overwhelming and compelling as him, uh, following him, this is what the life of that disciple might look like. But this chapter, chapter 10, as we'll see in the coming weeks, is a sermon with a slightly different uh, focus. If, that, if, if the Sermon on the Mount was a picture of the character of the person, uh, chapter 10 is a, is a picture of the, the sort of the mission, the direction of the life of the person who is following Jesus. It's about disciples and their pursuit of Jesus on mission in the world. And as Matthew's gospel will continue to portray throughout the rest of the book, uh, it is pretty clear that this is a mission not just for those 12, but for the church, for all who would follow Jesus. And today's kind of an introduction into that sermon. We start with the closing of chapter 9, and we move into chapter 10, just to consider just the beginning as Tyler read it for us. And my hope, again, is that like my daughter with the polar bear, as you hear and see Jesus that maybe we'll hear for the first time or maybe again um, in first time in a long time or with fresh ears, we'll hear the invitation to follow Jesus. We'll, he we'll hear it differently because we've seen him differently. I think it's important for us to have a clear picture of the one uh, we claim to follow. And so we've tried to do that over these previous weeks and we'll continue that. But now we hear his invitation as we've looked at him. Uh, we hear his invitation to follow him, and we'll consider some specific instructions in that invitation in the coming weeks. But today, again, is, is an introduction. We hear just the, the first hint or, or tone of what that life, the direction of that life might look like. 
And I think it's interesting. Uh, it's, you know, it's right on the, we're going to take, uh, this is the direction. I'm going to make two observations. We're going to take the first paragraph, uh, the closing verses of chapter 9, and then we're going to take the second paragraph where Jesus calls and names the disciples. We're going to make an observation about each of those, and then we're going to close with some implications, I think, for you and me. And the first observation as we sit with that, as we look clearly at Jesus and hear him in this context, it's, it's, apparent, it's very clear in this passage that the mission of Jesus and his disciples in the world is characterized by compassion. Right? We, we, we read it in verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And then this, this beautiful verse in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Which, which is important for us to remember, to hear the feeling that compels Jesus to gather disciples and send them into the world. It is his compassion for people harassed and helpless. It is his fundamental posture toward the world. Compassion, it's evidenced, as we saw in previous weeks, again and again in his healing of, of people on the outside and the margins, his, his gathering in, even willing to sort of draw in religious leaders to, to help them hear differently the message of the kingdom. His fundamental posture to the world is compassion. And it will characterize his calling of his disciples and his sending of those disciples and you and me as well, what, what will be a fundamental context for your, uh, the call in your life to follow Jesus? Hear it this morning again, maybe for the first time. The context for that invitation to you and me is compassion. I, I don't know. I didn't spend a lot of time reflecting on it, but I would imagine if we listed sort of adjectives of words that would characterize the voice of the church or Jesus as it's perceived in the world uh, and it's called to disciples to follow him, I don't know that sort of compassion is maybe readily apparent in that conversation. But Matthew makes it very clear. We hear it here. Whatever sort of firm, Jesus will give some firm instruction. It, as we'll see, he'll put flesh on what that compassion looks like in the coming weeks, and it won't be weak or permissive. Um, it, 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 will, it will be a call uh, to discipleship and action, but, but it is still rooted in his heart for people who are hurting, helpless, and, and harassed. And we do well, I think, for starters, to remember that, to remember that the motivation as Matthew gives us this portrait of Jesus, the motivation for Jesus' calling of disciples and sending them into the world is compassion for the people in that world who are hurting. There's lots of Old Testament context in the images in this first paragraph. The first is an obvious one, like shepherd and sheep. You can, you probably go to, if you've been around church, you think of Psalm 23 and these beautiful portraits of a good shepherd. Jesus will use this language in other um, uh, presentations of him in the gospel. He'll use uh, John's gospel. We'll talk about him as a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. There's a lot of Old Testament history and baggage here, right? Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be the, the sort of image of God to the world, and they themselves are lost. Not only are they lost, but Jesus says here they're without good leadership. There is corruption. They've been misled. They've been sort of left to, to wander. 
a couple of indictments here. Not only are, are those who are supposed to be the light of God's goodness to the world themselves lost, but they are without leader, leaders. And so Jesus looks at them in compassion in light of all of that history, the cycles of wandering and brokenness in the Old Testament, the present frustrations in the New Testament. Jesus looks at all of that and out of compassion will say later, I am a good shepherd and I will lay down my life for the sheep and calls disciples to follow him in that. But not just shepherd and sheep, he picks up another image here that is the image of harvest and, and laborers. We sang uh, about, I think, both of these images this morning. We sang about the helplessness and, uh, of our hearts before him, but also the, the need for God to gather all of those helpless and harassed people in a great harvest of his work in the world. It's imagery of agriculture, and it too is ripe with Old Testament implications. It's both a word of threat, but also hope, right? This sort of sense of harvesting the judgment would come, but that God would also restore. I mention all of this to point out what is interesting about what Jesus emphasizes when he talks about it here. Jesus employs this image as a motivation for all who would follow him to pray for the work of God in the world. The work, as we've just heard, which is characterized by compassion and care for people helpless and harassed. What's interesting, what doesn't happen here in this moment, Jesus does not send his disciples into the world to execute that judgment, right? They are not sent to sort of do that work. They are simply sent to announce the kingdom that the shepherd for a people hurting and broken has come to announce, in fact, rescue from judgment. Again, I wonder if the voice that, or the tone or the themes that so often characterize are my the church's voice to the world, does it resonate with this same theme and emphasis that we hear Jesus calling his disciples to? So this is the first observation, that first paragraph, right? It's a simple thought that I've tried to drag into a longer one to keep you here longer listening to me speak. But I could have left it simply that, you know, it was compassion that motivated Ethan's like, yeah, you know, next time maybe. Uh, again, it seems obvious, but it's worth saying again. It was compassion that motivated Jesus to call and send disciples. But now the second paragraph. It's not just compassion that sort of characterizes his work and his disciples' work in the world. Uh, we've already sort of hinted here. Jesus calls and sends his disciples to participate and share in that compassionate work. It's what we read in chapter 10, verse 1. So, right, he says, pray. Pray God would send workers into the harvest to continue this work of love and compassion and care, the announcement of good news to people harassed and hurting and helpless. Out of that, he says, Matthew tells us, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. The verses that follow, then we get a list of those names. And then uh, the verses that follow, which we didn't read this morning, we'll consider next week, he sends them out as participants uh, in Jesus' compassionate work. It is, I don't know, loads of folks have made this observation. It's interesting, right, that immediately after telling them to pray for workers, Jesus calls them and sends them as workers, right, like uh, as answers to the very prayer they've been called to pray. I'll leave you to sort of chew on that for a bit, but you can feel the movement of the passage. Having received a compassionate word from Jesus, he has called them he has reached into their lives, this disparate group of, from all over the political map and landscape, as we'll consider in a moment, he's brought them together. 
And out of his compassionate response to them, he is sending them into their world uh, to share that compassion with others. There's a lot that's been made about the names in this group, a lot of reasons to consider them, and we won't do all of that this morning, except to say I do think it's interesting that he brings together a tax collector and a zealot, opposite ends of the political spectrum, a tax collector perhaps, you know, you, you might say sort of in league with the overruling powers and the systems as they are, a zealot who is very much opposed and, 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 and on the front end of movements that would revolt and would, would seek for like active action against that, that, that very same system. And here Jesus brings them together in one group and a betrayer, which, you know, Matthew tells us at the end brings all of these people together, roots them in this very same compassion, roots them in the soil of his love for them, and then aims them all in the same direction. Compassion for others, taking what Jesus has done and continuing it. It's interesting what he doesn't do. He doesn't call them to status or to a position. He calls them to service and compassion to the people around them. So those two observations, those two paragraphs, one, Jesus's work is characterized by compassion, which again, you're like, do we need to come to church to hear that? I don't know, but we've said it. And number two is that his calling of disciples and sending them is, is, is caught up in that same mission. They are now called to participate in that, which raises the question for us this morning, okay? How do we, how do you, how do I hear and respond to this word, right? This call, right? We hear Jesus calling disciples to himself and sending them into the world to participate in in his love for the world. How do we hear it this morning? How do you hear it in your workaday lives as moms and dads, as uh, bosses and employees, right? How do you hear it uh, in the struggles and trials of your own life and your own brokenness and successes? How do you hear the call? How do I hear the call from Jesus to come to him as the shepherd and then to follow him in his mission for the world? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at it and we'll see where we go, all right? Two observations. The first one is, I, I think we follow Jesus. Right? You guys are like, again, really, Matt, like uh, this was like a, I don't know where you post things online these days, but you could have just posted this. We could have read it in the comfort of our home, but, but I think it's, it's, it's simply, it's uh, how do we hear and respond? We follow Jesus, right? We, we follow Jesus. We, the, the truth is, right, as Jesus looks at the world and as he looks at you and me, we are all following something or someone. We're in pursuit of some ideal, some, some measure of enoughness, some picture or portrait that we carry of togetherness, some ideal that we think will distance us from harassed and helpless. Right? We, we carry that. We pursue those things. They give us identity. They give us security. And Jesus, interestingly, in this moment, in this invitation to follow Jesus, invites all of us to to just drop the guard for a moment, right? The jig is up, right? Let's just admit it. You are all in need of compassion, right? That's, That's the confession wrapped up in this invitation to follow Jesus, to admit, as we've sung this morning, our helplessness. 
that you are a person in need of compassion. I am a person in need of compassion. This is the season in the church that we call Lent as we prepare and and anticipate Easter. And it's a season when the church the world over reflects on our mortality, our brokenness. You might use words like uh, our, our status as harassed and helpless. And, and those things, I think, in this, is wrapped up in this confession, this invitation to follow Jesus is to remember that I am harassed and helpless, certainly in the face of death that puts a limit and a, and a shadow over everything we pursue, but also in the face of life's ups and downs and twists and turns. I am a person in need of compassion. And if I'm going to read this story about Jesus and hear it and respond, I'm going to hear the invitation to follow Jesus. Of all the things I could follow, of all the things you could follow for security, of all the places you could go to distance yourself from this, what we know to be true, that we are helpless and in need of compassion, of all the places we could go, Jesus says, come to me. And what you will find is the words of the Lenten prayer for this week, oh God, whose glory it is to always have mercy. That when you and I show up to this invitation and all of our helplessness, the gospel is that when you come to that moment of honesty to follow Jesus, among all the things you could follow, what you find there is a God whose glory it is to always have mercy. I think we're probably more comfortable, you know, even culturally, we'll concede the point that we're harassed. Much of the religious and political sort of discourse is happy to accept this characterization of our condition. And, and I think a lot of times it becomes an excuse for sort of a you know, belligerent sort of the posture to the world. But Jesus says that's not enough. You have to admit and confess your helplessness. And to that, I think often we're like, no thanks, right? No thanks. I got this. It's an admission that we need shepherding. And I'll grant, you know, man, the beautiful, idyllic, pastoral scenes of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. It's so beautiful, certainly full of more than sentiment, but it's there. But, but I, think, I think our human heart resists the characterization inherent in that word, that we are wandering sheep in need of compassion. And so to hear the story this morning is, is, I think, first of all, to hear Jesus say to you, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus of all the things you could pursue. Confess your need, your brokenness. There are numerous voices uh, vying for your um, attention, for your security, seeking to give you identity, seeking to um, uh, offer you sort of enoughness in the world. And Jesus says in the midst of all of those, hear the invitation to follow me. I am the good shepherd. I'm the one who will lay down his life for the sheep. I, I am rest for your weary soul. When you show up helpless and harassed, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. Come to me, he will say later in Matthew's gospel. Everyone who labors and is heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's interesting what Jesus doesn't do. When Jesus says to you, follow me, follow Jesus, he doesn't point you back to yourself with some advice on how to manage your life. 
He doesn't say, let me give you some tools for rest maximization, right? He doesn't sort of, uh, let me help you put it back together. He doesn't say any of that, although there may be place for those things. What Jesus says to you and me is that I am rest. Come to me. Bring all of that to me of all the places you could go and hear the first good news, the first words of good news possibly ever. Uh, you have heard, I am rest for your weary soul. I, uh, I was recently, I've been reading through Michael J. Fox's, he's got a couple of memoirs. Do you guys know? I, I was realizing now, I don't, some people in the room are like, who's Michael J. Fox? He was a really good like, basketball player. This is like, a, you know, uh, no, right. He has uh, any Back to the Future fans? Yeah, family, family ties, right? I don't know. It's, anyone in here like, I have no idea who Michael J. Fox is. Don't, yeah, okay. Uh, is you're like, I'm not going to raise my hand, right? Um, well, anyway, uh, of, of, of my youth, I had, my wife had the nerve to tell me, I'm like, Were you, weren't you like a Back to the Future fan? She's like, no, I didn't really like that. And I was personally offended. I'm like, uh, it's just this, sort of this piece of my youth. But anyway, he, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease as a very, very young man. And, uh, and he's written extensively and advocated for uh, work in that area. But in his biography uh, called Lucky Man, which was, I think, the first of a few that he's written, uh, he makes an observation towards the end of that story. He's before a Senate committee, like a very young man, uh, diagnosed and living with uh, all the implications that come with Parkinson's disease. And he's before a Senate committee of some kind. And he talks about watching the footage of that moment himself and you know he had been managing symptoms and tremors and all of that trying to keep them sort of out of the public view as an actor a very successful actor frequently in the public eye and he's writing about that experience and he says uh in this particular moment he 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 didn't um take the steps that he normally would have taken to manage those symptoms as he's before the Senate committee advocating for research and those kinds of things. And so he says he's watching as his tremors are sort of having full, given full expression in his body as he's trying to communicate. And in, in, the, in the memoir, as he's watching this moment, he says, you know, I, I, I looked, I was watching myself, and there was like a steadiness in my eyes, which surprised me, he says. And, and then he, this statement, which is hung with me, I couldn't be this still, he said, until I could no longer keep still. Right, so his body out of control, movements beyond his sort of conscious uh, control, and just sort of a, a complete lack of control there. But and yet he says, looking in this moment, I realized I, I was finally still, but I could never be still until I, I could no longer keep still. Which, I, I don't know, makes me think of Jesus' invitation to you and me, that you will only finally ever know rest when you can, when you can finally admit that you are restless that your heart is pursuing all sorts of things, and in the midst of all of that, you hear Jesus say, say to you, follow me, follow Jesus. But then there's one final observation, and I'll be done. This is the, uh, this is the last point. The, that one was follow Jesus, and this one is the same, follow, follow Jesus, right? Except this time it's follow Jesus. You see, what I, you see what I did there? Previously it was follow Jesus, and now it's, Follow Jesus. So here's what I want to suggest to you. That if you have surrendered your life to the invitation of Jesus to trust him, his word to you is that you are now sent into the world to share in his compassion. 
right? That the call to be a disciple isn't a call to like some secured and sequestered place away from some, some, some future final security, although it is those things. It is not only those things. The call to follow Jesus is a call to compassionate service to a world that is hurting and helpless. And in the room this morning, I know are many of you all who have responded in some way to this call, some of you serving in vocation, some of you traveling the world serving people in need, some of you working among the least of these, some of you just in the everyday uh, uh, routine of your lives, loving friends and neighbors in a way that is gospel-driven because of the compassion of Jesus in your life. You hear, you recognize the call. is isn't just to follow Jesus, it's to follow I'll leave you with one final image. Uh, I'll take you back to Michael J. Fox. You guys remember him? He was in Back to the Future, Family Ties, no, other things too, but uh, Spin City, I think, was sort of the last of his uh, TV sitcom uh, career. Uh, Well, in an interview interview for a a documentary he did recently, he, he makes an interesting uh, observation here. The, the, the questioner asks him, uh, you know, like how, because he's, he's sort of maintained some positivity in the midst of all this. How have you done that? You know, you live with chronic disease. It's debilitating. It has altered the course and direction of your life. How do you live with that? And, uh, and you know, how do people respond? He's sort of asking all these questions. And in, in response to, to those questions, he says, you know, I see people, Michael J. Fox, says people look into my eyes, and they look really deeply. And he's saying this through, you know, the, the tremors and, and, and the movements of his body. And uh, people look into my eyes really deeply, and they're looking for fear, right? They expect me to be afraid. And then he says, and what they're seeing is only their fear reflected back They're not saying, man, how did you get this terrible disease? They're saying, how do I not get this? How far away from you do I have to be to make sure this doesn't happen to me? Sounds to me like a phrase that far too often characterizes our posture to the world. The church's response to the world a fear that leads to angry opposition and distance and suspicion. How far away from you do I have to stay so this doesn't happen to me? And yet what Jesus does here says that when you follow him, when he is the center of your life, his compassion is the soil from which your life grows, you are, you are then uh, at rest and sent into the world, invited to follow him and his love for the hurting, helpless people in the world. And perhaps they are your neighbors and friends and family members and coworkers, folks in your life whose experience would mirror Michael J. Fox's description of those around him, folks waiting for us to look at them and to see them not with fearful eyes but with compassionate once. This is the invitation to you and me this morning. Will you pray? Thank you for listening to the Park City Church Podcast. To learn more about our church and or to find ways to get involved in our community, visit us at parkcitykc.com or follow us on social media at Park City KC.